Hey everybody, this is episode 120 of the Running Rogue Podcast. This is Chris coming at you from Austin, Texas on a beautiful spring day here. I'm recording this intro and outro on an interview that I did a couple weeks back with a coach of ours, Molly Dykstra. She coaches actually in our Dallas programming. We have Dallas-based groups, as well as, of course, our Austin-based groups. And our Dallas-based groups are done in partnership with our retail partner, Jackrabbit. We call them Rogue Training up there in Dallas. And we've got four different locations there out of the run-on stores in Dallas. So if you want to check all of that out, you can at roguetraining.run. But Molly's one of our coaches there. I was in Dallas a few weeks ago doing, or about a month ago, doing a goal-setting workshop. And we had a little partner exercise. And Molly, unfortunately for her, got paired with me to talk about her goals. And as we talked about that, I realized that she had some big goals and she needed to make some changes potentially to get to those big goals. And sometimes it's hard to coach yourself. So... I volunteered to guide her a little bit myself as her coach from afar. And I said, hey, come on the podcast if you don't mind and let's talk about it. And so what you're going to get to listen to with Molly today is a coach-athlete discussion of me trying to guide her on a path to try to qualify for Boston for the very first time. She's been really, really close. She was on track for that in a prior race, but actually collapsed in the finishing straight and ended up in the med tent and did not finish that day and unfortunately missed her goal but is still hungry for it and is going to go back after it this fall so we spend some time on this podcast talking with molly about those goals and i think you'll really really be able to enjoy it and relate to her story before that i've got some current events to get to as things start to pick up in the running world as we hit the spring Lots of good stuff to cover, as I alluded to in my last episode where I introed the Ryan Hall interview. World Cross happened this past weekend, and as we thought and predicted, it was really, really epic. I'm not going to necessarily give you a blow-by-blow recap of all the races. I do encourage you to get that NBC Gold membership and just go watch them. These races are to be watched. It was indeed a spectacle. and. So, but instead, I'm, and of course, you can go look up the results. What I'm instead going to do is kind of give you my takeaways from watching it, some of the things that got me excited, and cover off on some of the stats as we go through that. My first thing is that, man, World Cross needs to happen every year, if at all possible. Now it's happening every two years, but it used to happen every year. And I feel like with the drama that we had, on this committed course or committed organizing committee in Denmark to bring drama. It is just so much fun and it pops up at a time in in the schedule that yes, might leave out some marathoners, those doing Boston or London, but it comes early enough in the season that it wouldn't necessarily affect the, the track season for people and could be a big building block for that and of course not everybody has to do it every year but it's just so compelling so entertaining for all the reasons that we've talked about before on this podcast which is that you have milers competing with marathoners all on one crazy course cross country with 
all the potential chaos that that can bring. And it's just so compelling. As we've talked about before, we believe that the World Cross is the greatest foot race on the planet. And it's so pure in the racing element. There's no mile markers, no splits. It's all about head-to-head racing across sometimes a crazy course. And it's just really, really fun and really entertaining. And this, of course, was no exception. So come on, IAAF. It used to be every year. I would love to see it come back to being every year. Now, some would say, well, we can't do it every year because of the fact that it's difficult to organize and you've got to get a different organizing country every year and so forth. And I would just say, why not get four to five to six venues that rotate the World Cross every year and might go back to similar courses, but they could always change it up from year to year depending on the venue but you just pick some dedicated locations that are going to host and then rotate through those and you could even bring in a new one every x number of years four or five years so that you're not having to bring a new organizing structure to bear every year but rather every four to five years while you have these other venues that are sustainable ongoing venues that are used that to me would be a potential solution to getting back to every year if the organizing issue is an issue or is if the organizing thing is an issue. But I would love to see it. It's high drama. This year was no exception. Denmark, kudos to you. So first takeaway, I'd love to see World Cross every year. Second, Denmark, hats off. Whoever you guys had organizing this absolutely crushed it. It seemed like not only was it the perfect exciting course you had as i mentioned last time you had sand pits mud pits water pits you had multiple sand pits you had crazy hills you were climbing up on a roof going all over the place there was really no flat part of the course and and it was just fun to watch i mean it was a suffer fest out there so i don't know what the athletes think but it was fun to watch they also had a big beer tent and so the spectators i'm sure had a good time It was a 2K loop, so you could see all of the action quite frequently if you were just standing in one spot as a a spectator. They did a good job, frankly, with the coverage NBC Sports Gold did. Had, had, I think, solid announcing crew and had good camera work so you could see all the different sections. And it it was perfectly executed across the board. Kudos to Denmark. Kudos to everybody else who went involved in organizing it. Just just nailed it. So now let's talk about the women's race. And I'll give some takeaways from that. First of all, hats off to Helen O'Beary. Massive tip of the hat to Helen O'Beary, who won this race, besting the Ethiopian athlete Dida, who was second only a couple seconds back, and then her countrywoman, Gide, was third, about eight seconds back. So it, it really came down to those, those three. And over the last maybe couple of loops or loop and a half, it was those three had separated. It was clear that that was your podium. But Helen O'Beary came in as the favorite for this race. She had a little bit of help early from Beatrice Kachepko at the steeplechase world record holder. But for the most part, 
Helena O'Berry was the favorite, and then she absolutely made the race. She pushed the pace, put pressure on the field from the beginning. She was the one leading up every single hill, leading into every mud pit, every water pit, every sand pit. Helen O'Beary got in to every bit of this race first. Dita and Gide tried to latch on. And at times, honestly, they looked smoother than O'Beary did. O'Beary has a little bit of an ugly running form. She kind of moves her arms wildly. She sways her head back and forth. It's not pretty. And it wasn't pretty. She did not look the smoothest in the middle of this race. But she made it absolutely made the race pressed from the front and was able to hold on gapping Dita in the final final lap really in the final probably 1k maybe even half mile to go she she was able to pull away and get a gap and it was really really impressive she finished in 36 14 for 10k distance which is I don't have her 10k PR in front of me but she's a sub-30 10K runner, and she ran six minutes slower on this 10K course, which just gives you some perspective. A minute, at least almost a minute slower per mile than her 10K PR. That gives you some perspective on how challenging this course was. But hats off to Helen Elbiri. She now becomes the first female to ever win a gold medal in World Cross, World Indoors, and a world outdoor title. First female to, to do all three. And this was her first world cross. So it's even more impressive that she did it her first time. The way she did it. Leading from the front. Never relenting. And it was really, really, really impressive. Hats off also to Dita and Gide who hung in there as long as they could. They, as I mentioned, at times looked a little bit smoother but could not best O'Beary, but held in really well to get second and third. Their countrywoman, Gimechu, also was in the top 10, getting sixth. And another of their countrywomen, Fukadu, Fukadu, was 10th. So Ethiopia ended up with the team title on the women's side. So that was the consolation for Dida and Gide, is that they ended up running away with the with the team title. So. Hats off to Obiri. Hats off to the Ethiopian women who won the team title. And then you got to say hats off to Stephanie Bruce, who ended up the first American in the field, which is really, really impressive. She was 33rd on the day, well back of the leaders, but worked her way up the entire time and finish, finished an impressive 33rd as the first American in this field. I believe she was only 75th after the 2K point, so was able to kind of steadily work herself up from there. Whereas the other Americans didn't <laughs> didn't uh, fare as well. And so Kel- Stephanie was the the top American. Bauman Track Club had a tough, tough day as Krista Schweitzer, Marielle Hall finished 56th and 58th, and Courtney Frerichs was... 76th so not what those athletes wanted so an uncharacteristically difficult day for the Bowman Track Club women but nevertheless to talk about Stephanie Bruce hats off to her she's a marathoner primarily but 
has shown real prowess at the 10K distance, winning the U.S. 10K road title, getting a podium at USA's last year on the track. My prediction for Stephanie Bruce is that she will be an Olympian, either in the marathon or the 10K. I think she's going to get it done. And if that happens, it will be a, a storybook situation for her. This This older veteran athlete staying with it through lots of ups and downs through not winning a U.S. title until last year, sticking with it, working with her coach Ben Rosario and the the Hoka NAZ elite team. So to finish top American here, I think bodes well, shows her range, shows her toughness, shows shows the world the fact that in Atlanta next year on a hilly marathon trials course, she's going to be a factor potentially, also showing that on the track, when you flatten things out, she can beat the best of the U.S. runners out there, potentially. And so I think she's going to be an Olympian. I think she's going to snag a top three spot in either the marathon or the 10K. And if so, that'll be a massive celebration for, for Stephanie, who's just a truly, truly inspiring athlete. So follow Stephanie Bruce over the next year, everybody, and, and follow her on Twitter. Follow her through the NAZ Elite team. I think she's going to Tokyo. I don't want to jinx her, and I'm knocking on wood for her right now, but but she she's tough, and this is a badass result for her. So hats off to Stephanie Bruce on the American side. Let's talk about the men's race. And couple of couple of takeaways here. Joshua Cheptegi got the win. And I think this result shows that he's going to be a force to be reckoned with on the track, actually. You know, I'll have to remind some of you that a couple of years ago in Kampala, Joshua Chepchegi made the race there, got a big gap, ultimately blew up, ended up getting beat by Jeffrey Kamroor in that race and, and went home devastated, so to speak in that race a couple of years ago in Kampala. This year came back, ran a smarter race, a more patient race, didn't really pull away until, until later or, or start to push her on, put on the pressure until a little bit later in the race and then ended up pulling away, beating his countrywoman, Jakob or Jacob Kiplimo. So Chip Cheggy ended up in a 31.40 which is close to five minutes slower than he might run for a track 10K. He bested his countryman, Kiplimo, by four seconds, and then Jeffrey Kamroor ended up in third, rounding out the podium about 15 seconds back. Kamroor, of course, was the athlete who won New York, not in 2018, but 2017, and was the favorite at New York even though he was bested on that day. He is strong on the track and on the roads, and so for Chipchegi to get the win here after Kamroor won a couple years ago, it's a big, big, big deal. And I think this shows you a maturity level, and and not that he was immature a couple years ago, but he maybe didn't have the experience he needed to get the win a couple years ago even though he even says after this race that he was fitter a couple of years ago, but he just didn't run a smart race there. It was a bold race, but it wasn't a smart race, and it cost him the win a couple of years ago. 
this time. He learned, incorporated that into his approach, showed some maturity, and ultimately ran really the perfectly executed race to pull away from his countrymen in this one and also earn his country, Uganda, the team title on the men's side as they had finishers one, two, and I believe seventh. So seventh and 10th. So four in the top 10 for Uganda, which is huge. And no doubt Kaplimo helped Cheptegi a little bit in this one, having him around. But I think what to me this means for Cheptegi is that when it's time to go back to the track and we don't really know what Kamrora will do, I actually think Chipchegi is the one to really look for as a favorite in the world champs for the 10K this year on the track. I think he's going to be potentially the next next Mo Farah, so to speak, in terms of potential dominance there. That's my prediction. He'll, of course, have a challenge from Kamrora, but I think Kamrora is more likely more focused on the marathon at this point, whereas Chipchegi seems committed to not only this in cross country, but also to really focus on the track. And it's, and it's hard to do both. It's hard to go back and forth. And if Chipchegi can focus here, I think this result shows that he'll be a force there. And I would predict he would come back and get a win on the track in the world champs this summer and early fall. So, that's one takeaway from the men's side. And then the other side, the other one I have is, man, the Americans, tough day. Finished 11th overall as a team. And I believe was was a, at least at the top, mostly a, a Scott Simmons American Distance Project team. It's not, it's, it's uh, rare for them to eat humble, excuse me, eat humble pie. But for them, I think that this was an underwhelming performance overall. Kip Chichir was the first American in 34th. Stanley Cabane, his teammate, was right there in 35th. They were a second apart. But then things sort of slid back from there, and and career ended up finishing well down the list. Just not the day that I'm sure Scott Simmons and crew had imagined. My my thoughts were that that this group with Kip Chichir, Hilary Bohr, Leonard Career, Kibene could could be a top five team potentially if they put all the pieces together. But they ended up eleventh. Not a good not a good performance. Not certainly I'm sure what they prospect what they expected. And so it's just rare to see that group eat a little bit of humble pie, especially after they're just known for, for absolutely crushing it. But it did just go to show you that this course was relentless and it chewed up and spit out some people. And that happened both for the American Distant Project group as well as the Bowerman Track Club group on the women's side. So we all have bad days. Doesn't mean you're a bad athlete. It doesn't mean you're, doesn't mean you're slow. I'm sure both of those groups will take their lessons from this and go back and and be strong again on another day and as american fans we can't we can't shit on that we got to we got to lift them up because man they went out there you could tell from the looks on their faces as they were caught on camera that they were giving everything they had and it just wasn't their day and for a lot of people on a tough course it wasn't their day 
So hats off to the American teams, even if even if they didn't get what they wanted. All right, so World Cross, that was sort of overall topic number one. Number two, wanted to talk about Emily Sisson. She and Molly Huddle ran a prep race for London at Stanford. It was also their attempt to get an Olympic trials qualifier for the 10K on the track so that they don't have to go after it at some other point, kind of get it out of the way before London. Also use it as a London prep race experience. And we like to have, we like to have hard 10 Ks in our own, in our own training here at, at Rogue in a marathon buildup. And so Emily and Molly went to Stanford to go after that 10 K standard and they absolutely crushed it. They absolutely crushed it. But what was interesting is that Emily Sisson beat her teammate, Molly Huddle. Both of them ended up with the standard going 1-2 in the race and really demolishing demolishing the field. I mean, they finished more than a minute up from third place. Huddle and, and Sisson worked together throughout the race until the very end kind of alternating the lead and really going for that standard again the 10 new 10k standard for the track is 3125 which is which is seriously legit and so their goal was to get that and they did it very reasonably very comfortably Sisson finished in 3049 to get well under the standard she beat her teammate by 9 seconds Huddle was also under 31, 30, and 30.58 as Sissa and Emily just dropped Huddle at the end and absolutely gapped her over the final bit after they'd been working together, which is really, really interesting. I think it's, it's, it's cool to see Sissa make that move as she has largely operated, I don't want to say in the shadows of Huddle, but has typically finished behind Tuttle in major races, especially those on the track and the track 10K. She's finished behind her consistently, maybe even never beaten Huddle on a track race. And so to see her do this, and granted, it's in a London build-up, so you have to take it a little bit with a grain of salt. But to me, it is a data point that supports my position earlier this year that I shared on the podcast, which is that I think Sitson's going to have, Emily's going to have a better London I think Emily Sisson is going to beat Molly in London. And I think this race showed that that's possible. I mean, they're both in marathon training. They're both building to the same race. And it looked to me like Emily's just going to be fitter. And I also think Emily's running form and style lends itself really well to the marathon. Now, this is her first marathon, so we don't really know until we see it. But... I'm going to make a prediction that Emily Sisson, as I think I already did earlier this year, I think Emily Sisson's going to beat Molly. And I, what I like about this race is that hopefully it gave her the confidence to to not to run out from behind Huddle's shadow and to go do it and not necessarily to lean on staying behind Molly, Molly in London or to so that she can believe that it is possible to beat her. And so we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. But I think you're going to see Emily Sisson beat Molly Huddle in the marathon. And then I think she'll also get the marathon standard. And then Emily Sisson's going to have a decision to make. Do you go race the trials 
next year? Do you continue to focus on the 10K? I'm sure she'll do the 10K for sure. So it'll be a question of, will she do both? It'll be fascinating. But this result, this 30-49, puts her in rarefied air, in elite company. She now is the third fastest U.S. 10K runner of all time, of course, as a female. And she sits now behind Molly Huddle, who is, has the American record in the 10K. Shalane Flanagan, who held the American record for a long time. Emily Sisson's third. The other two in the top five are Dina Castor, fourth, and Kara Goucher, fifth. So that is quite the list to be on, and I think that bodes well for what Sisson can do in the marathon. I think she's going to crush it in London. I'm excited to see it. We'll see. Looking forward to my final predictions on that. So there you go. A couple of good current events. World Cross. Go watch that if you haven't already on NBC Sports Gold. And then hats off to Emily Sisson. This bodes definitely well for the London results coming. And it bodes well for Molly too, for sure. I mean, she's fit as well. And so I think I'm excited to see what they both can do together, working together in this race. And I think there's going to be fast times and fireworks. So. It's going to be exciting, and of course, you'll get all my predictions on London as we get closer to that. Now, let's turn to my interview with Molly. I'm not going to do a lot of an introduction here because we talk a lot about her history and background in the interview, but as a reminder, Molly's one of our coaches in Dallas, coaches a group that meets out of the run-on Mockingbird there in Dallas, meets Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. That group meets at 5.15 a.m., Molly focuses on coaching the half marathoners in that in that group. And if you want more information about getting coached by Molly, you can go to roguetraining.run. So with that as an intro, let's jump into my conversation with Molly. Welcome, Molly Dykstra, to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? How does it feel following Ryan Hall's <laughs> interview? <laughs> Not daunting at all. <laughs> Don't worry about it. There's no pressure. None, none. None. So as I mentioned in the intro, Molly is one of our Dallas coaches. She's here to basically get coached up. We were in Dallas. I was in Dallas about, a, what was that, three or four weeks ago doing a goal-setting exercise. And Molly, unfortunately for her, got paired with <laughs> me for that exercise, which led to this podcast <laughs> because I decided that she needed to perhaps get a little bit of coaching from me. And so we're extending the conversation from that goal setting exercise to to, na to now. What do you think about that, Molly? I think I clearly need some help with my goals. <laughs> <laughs> I think, and we'll get to this in a second. One of the things we learned, and you're again, one of our coaches in Dallas, is that perhaps you need to listen to some of the things you're telling your athletes as an athlete yourself which can be hard as someone who's a coach who sometimes has the temptation to try to coach myself. It can be hard as a coach to do that. Absolutely. I can tell people what to do, but I like to push myself and tend to get a little overexcited and overtrained. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start with a little background on you. First of all, just tell us how you got into running. What's your journey been like? Well, I started running in high school. I did track and cross country. I didn't really have a passion for it, but I did enjoy it. I like the challenge of it, and I like the social aspect probably more than anything else. Yeah, and, and were you good at it? Um, I ran varsity the first few meets during cross country, um, but kind of petered out toward the end of the season. 
Um, okay. I, so I really enjoyed it. Um, kind of lost track of it through college. Um, you know, I would go running every now and then with friends, but nothing, nothing competitive, no races, nothing like that. Um, and then my sister and I started training for a half marathon when we were, um, oh gosh, I think it was probably 2006, 2005, and just kind of fell back in love with it. I enjoyed yep. the um, camaraderie of it, just being with people. It wasn't the racing that I'd had in high school. I think that over like overwhelmed me. I think um, I enjoyed the slow, easy pace, the conversation, just the, the goal setting of, hey, I have this goal. Do you think we can run a half marathon? And then actually being able to do it was really exciting to me. So, And from there, just jumped into, I did a half, so why not do a full? And then, oh, I did a full. Why not do it a little faster? <laughs> and yeah. kind of kind of uh, fell in love with it that way. So why have you stuck with it after getting back to it? I love the relational aspect of it. I've always loved um, hanging out, talking with people in this way. Um, you can go for a run. You can be with your friends. You can kind of work through a lot of stuff um, on a run. And I've just loved that you can grab a couple friends and and put some shoes on and go out and and kind of work out all your problems. Have you trained with Run On from the beginning of your time in Dallas? Um, no, I started. My sister and I did our own program. We just got one off the internet, one of those Hal Higdon, I think, yep. programs. Um, and so we ran that, and then um, we did a run on program, or I did a run on program, loved it, and then thought, oh, I could probably train myself, and it <laughs> went down in flames. <laughs> <That> <laughs> <didn't> <laughs> it work. did not go well. So I then um, have been with Ron ever since. And you've since also got into coaching with Ron on, and now Rogue Training in Dallas. So yes. talk about your evolution as a coach. Well, I started out as a mentor. The run-on when we started, we would do um, a mentorship program. So you'd be kind of like an assistant coach, just kind of learning the ropes, learning um, the rhythms of, of how we run. And um, so from there, I just got into coaching and really fell in love with the, the people that I run with. Um, we had a great time just if they had a goal or if they had a problem or um, really like even just home stuff. We would work stuff out on the run. We'd talk. And it felt like um, we made progress throughout the year, and it was just a fun way to, to get to know people in a different setting. What have you found to be the biggest challenge as a coach? I think that's a good question. I think when someone has a, I'm laughing because it's me, an unrealistic <laughs> goal, um, trying to encourage but also think, I just had this conversation on Saturday during a long run of, You've got a goal, and it's a good goal, but is it realistic? Is it something that you're willing to take time out of your life? Is it something that you're willing to um, put everything else aside for? If you're saying yes to this goal, you're saying no to a lot of other things, and is that realistic? Yeah. And I think it's challenging when you have um, a plan that will work for someone, and they don't listen to the plan. They don't listen to the run slow on your easy days, you know, things like that. Yeah. And then they crash and burn in a race. And you just want to lovingly shake them <laughs> and say, oh, if you just did this, you could have gotten your goal. You, you laughed and said it's you. What, <laughs> is, what does that mean? How can you relate to that? Um, I tend to uh, push myself. Like when I know I'm feeling fatigue or dehydration or any of those things, I tend to put it in the back of my mind and say, oh, it's fine. It's fine. I can just run a few more miles and get the training run in. 
instead of throwing in the towel someday, some days and saying, mm, that wasn't my best run. I, I probably should just <laughs> pack it up. Speaking of pushing yourself, <laughs> you, you pushed yourself to collapse in your last big Boston Marathon qualifying attempt. I did. Talk about that. Where was it and how did it play out for you that day? Uh, that was a tough run. <laughs> so I did Mount Charleston in uh, April of last year and had a good plan going in. The weather was supposed to be great. Um, you know, being in Dallas, we have different climate than um, uh, Nevada. And so I didn't really take that into account like I should have, but the temperatures were pretty hot that day and we had a great race plan and I stuck to it. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Regardless of um, fatigue and dehydration and confusion toward the <laughs> end and pavement in my face at, the What's, w- at what point did you collapse uh 26.0 oh was i believe where i recall hitting the pavement so you <laughs> just passed out yes and fell a- to the ground about mile 12 12 to 14 my calves started cramping and i just chalked it up to the the first half of the race is a steep um, descent and I chucked it up to, oh, it must just be cramping. It must just be, it's, um, it's flattening out. Surely that's what it was, but it was dehydration. And when I stopped sweating at 19, I knew, and I, my thought was, oh, I've only got seven more. I can just drink some water <laughs> oh and be gosh. fine. <laughs> and you're, I mean, you're probably in heat exhaustion. Yes. So and then you passed out basically less than a lap of the track from the finish line. Yes. A police officer was very kind, and I don't think I was very kind back, but he encouraged me to drink some water standing next to his car. Yeah. Um, So I did. And then I took the turn, saw the finish, and tried to push. And I think someone caught me as I was falling. I don't really recall. You don't remember. No. I do remember waking up. But you were on track to BQ. Yes. But didn't get it because you collapsed with point two to go. And no one dragged me across (laughs) or rolled me or pushed or did, did they anything. stop your Garmin no <laughs> <laughs> that was my <laughs> uh, I just interviewed uh, an elite athlete Sasa Golish who who said a spectator stopped her Garmin after she collapsed at Berlin I'm like that's true love that's right insane yes so w- at what point did you wake up did you wake up in the med tent I woke up in an ambulance in an ambulance um didn't know really what was going on where I was um who was there so I found my, they, wow. I, I always run with my driver's license. Yep. So they grabbed that and did all the, what's your name? Where are you from? <laughs> Kept trying to go back to Nebraska, which is where I was <laughs> born. And you no were idea. not aware. No, very Wow. Confused. How long did that last? Um, I, I went to the hospital, got some fluids that day and left um, AMA just because my flight was at night and I had to get back. And so wow. just pushed a lot of fluids. Started feeling much better a few hours later, but. Goodness. Yes. That's insane, Molly. I mean, I think most of us think we could push ourselves to that point in a theoretical sense or like to think we could. But that's really hard to do. It's really hard to push yourself to collapse. It is, but. I mean, that's impressive. I mean, it's (laughs) impressive in a sense. It means that you're really freaking tough. I'm very stubborn. (laughs) And I was going to finish that 
race if it killed me. And it almost did. It almost did. But no, I think at that point it was the confusion that set in toward yeah. the end. I mean, you just think if I can just get to that point and then you see the finish line and you're like, I've just got to get to that point. But it was also, I mean, close to 80 degrees at the finish. Yeah. And so we weren't trained for that kind of heat. So backing up a little bit, at what point did Boston become a goal for you? Boston has always been kind of a rolling goal, I think. Um, a lot of my friends growing up were runners, and so it was always this thing that was just this, you have to qualify for it. It was just this, like, unicorn that was, you were chasing it because it was this thing that you couldn't just run, you know, and not anyone can run Boston. And so when I ran my first marathon, I thought, there's no way. Um, you know, I've, I had a friend run it. Um, and she did awesome. And so it was just so neat to hear her experience and her high from it. Um, so after, I think it was 2015, I ran um, St. Louis. And I had trained well. I didn't really have a time goal. I was running it by myself and just was going to go out and have fun. And I ran it um, quite a bit faster than I thought I could. And I PR'd by 10 or 12 minutes. And I thought, oh, I'm only 10 or 12 minutes away from getting my Boston time. So then it kind of solidified into this goal that was reachable. Yep. And since they keep taking time away <laughs> from me. How has that felt? very cruel. How has that felt <laughs> as the like, standards have changed? It gets so close. I mean, when my Garmin stopped at um, uh, Mount Charleston, it stopped at 340, which is my BQ time. Granted, yep. I was still a few feet away from the finish. Right. But, right. Um, and then they took five minutes. So now you're 335. 335, yeah. And yet, wh what what are your thoughts on doing it on a course like Mount, Mount, Mount Charleston versus another flat course? Or I, I don't dislike flat courses. Like I ran Chicago a couple years ago, and my legs just enjoy the hills. I like that. So it doesn't have to be a straight downhill race. Those are tough. Um, yep. But just the flat, I think it's real old real fast. How have you processed Mount Charleston? Have you fully mourned that race? It was tough. I mean, especially because I got rabdo from it and just walking for the next oh couple of months was just excruciating. That's just insane. <laughs> It's not smart. <laughs> I don't recommend anyone ever doing what I did. I mean, it means you're tough, but man, yeah. Yeah, but I had to deal with the consequences of my But how do you get over that? I mean, because in some ways, being so close mm -hmm. and yet so far yeah, has got to make it hard to get back on the horse. It, it was for a long time, especially my first run after. I think I did a, an 11-minute mile, and my heart rate went over 200 immediately. I mean, it was just... So frustrating. It's almost like coming back after giving birth. Like, you know what you can do, but your body just isn't cooperating and isn't doing what it should and what you've trained it to do. I wouldn't know what that's like, <laughs> but I can imagine. <laughs> it's tough. Um, but it was it was hard. I mean, I went through a lot of times where it was like, should I even try and get back? Is this even worth it? Because it was so painful. Um, I did a lot of long runs where I'd cut them short and just do what I could do. But a lot of it was just reframing. I think I'm a pretty positive person. So it was just reframing like what success I did have, you know? So like, hey, I didn't finish, but 
I PR'd by 15 minutes from my best time. I mean, my best time was a 3.55. Your 26-mile PR is Yeah, exactly. I got real close. <laughs> um, and so, like, hey, I ran it faster than I had before. And I left it all out there. Like, that's the one race. No doubt. <laughs> Even some skin. It's the one race I could look back and say I left it all out there. And I didn't finish and look back and think, ah, I could have. I could have really pushed it in, you know, in the tough, in that tough section or, you know, I left it all out there and I did what I could and it wasn't my day. Has it been hard to get back to marathon training or to get back to thinking about taking on the marathon again? Because you haven't run one, right? No, not since Since April. then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to in Vancouver. Right. We'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> someone <laughs> told me not to. Um, I think I was excited about the idea of running one for fun, but running one for a time, it kind of scares me. Yeah. Because it's it's a different animal. It's a right. half you can make up time. You can push yourself. You can be a lot. I think a lot more aggressive and less um, uh, maybe I can hit a, hit a bad section and then turn it around and still be able to make up time in certain parts of a half. But in a full, like if you use your gas, you're out of gas. And right. So. And you don't get another shot. No. So. Before we talk a little bit more about why Boston as a goal, I want to just get a little more context on you as a person. You mentioned childbirth, so obviously <laughs> you have children. So tell us about your family, how old are your kids, and what do you what do you do during the day? Um, so I have uh, Charlie and I've been married. It'll be eleven years this year, and we have two kids. We have Emmy, who is seven, almost eight, and Owen, who is four, almost five. So. I work at a preschool Monday, Wednesday, Friday um, yeah. with little kids teaching music and movement and just jumping around and acting crazy with them um, and then running around with the kids the other and then running with my friends. It's pretty Co- much coaching, all of my time. Coaching yes. as well in moonlight. Coaching in the mornings. What What's it like? What's it like for you running post kids? Post how, how has I've that changed things? I've actually been stronger post kids. I think it you're able to dial in your time a lot better. I think pre-kids, I could go for a run whenever I wanted to. I could, you know, my, my schedule is so much more flexible. And now I have <laughs> from 5.30 a.m. to 6.30 a.m. to get my <laughs> run in. So you got your window. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a lot more intentional, um, a lot more uh, disciplined, I think, in how I eat, how I rest, or I try to be. Yeah. Because I know I don't have, you know, as much of a window in my day as I used to have with before the kids. It's funny how that is that when we're busier, sometimes it's easier to mm-hmm. actually get s- other things in oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because it forces us into this routine that becomes rigorous. Since you mentioned childbirth again, c- compare childbirth to what you experienced at the finish in Mount Charleston. Oh, I'd have, 50 more any, kids. Any it was so much easier to have kids. Oh, really? Okay. So you would say that <laughs> having children was easier than collapsing at the finish of Mount it Charleston. Was, it was probably about the same amount of time as each childbirth <laughs> of the three and a half hours. But it was, um, there was no euphoria at the end of <laughs> that race. There's no payback. There's a lot of confusion, I think, with both. Of like, oh my gosh, what do I do now? Where am I? But what has uh, happened <laughs> to my body? <laughs> bleeding yeah. from my knees. It yeah. was awful. But um, no, it was. I think, I think with having kids, you know, like 
you know that there's going to be pain, but then there's that payoff of you've got this great little baby in your arms. And I think at Mount Charleston, the, the payoff was not there, obviously, but it was still all that work. So you look back and I think it was just the disappointment of, man, I feel like I put a lot of work in and just missed the mark just by. There's no baby at the yeah. end. <laughs> I didn't even get a stupid medal. <laughs> or a right. shirt. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was yeah, like, come right. on. Wow. Okay. So, so mom, preschool teacher, running coach, <clears throat> Boston qualifying, you know, person who's attempting that, who's going after it. And this is one thing I was pushing you on at, at that goal setting exercise. Why, why Boston? Why do you want that? I think Boston has, over the years, I've let it kind of mull in my brain. And it's this attainable yet unattainable goal. So as I was thinking through our conversation, is it Boston or is it the time? Is it the fact right. that someone else is dictating in order to get this, you have to run a certain time? And is that is that what I'm really running after? Um but just as I was processing through it, I got to thinking, you know, growing up, I was never the athletic kid. I was never the this kid. You know, I didn't have that title, I felt like. Mm -hmm. And even as an adult, my friends laugh at me because I can't catch a ball if you throw it at me. But <laughs> I'll go out and run for four hours. Yeah. Um, so I think getting that Boston time, getting that to go to that, then I'll be able to say, no, I like, I've got that. I'm the... Boston qualifying girl. So you're, you want that validation. Mm -hmm. Is that for you or to prove something to somebody else? I would say it's, it's for me. I'd love to be selfless and say, I want to prove to my kids that, you know, you can be a mom and you can be this. And, <laughs> and there is that small little bit of independence. Of this All is right. my, this is my time. Um, to show what I can do and not just like living through others. But I think, I think it's for me. I think I want to be really good at something and I've set this goal for myself. And I think just chasing after that little bit of, yeah, I made a really ballsy goal and I got it. Yeah. Like it would just be so um, encouraging to me and just like, yeah, I can do it. Okay. I'll buy that for now. For now. <laughs> so, Let's talk a little bit about your your cycle before Mount Charleston. Mm -hmm. What was that like? How many miles per week were you running? What did you do in that cycle that seemed to get you ready for what would have been a BQ had you not collapsed <laughs> in the final straight? Um, I don't know the exact number per week, but I was probably 40 to 50 yep. max. Um, we had a really hot summer. I mean, I'm sure here in Austin, Dallas was probably didn't get to what it did here, but yep. it was a brutal, um, brutal summer. And I actually listened and slowed down, not like I should have on the long runs, um, and did my quality at my own pace. Usually I would always stick with someone and I, and I really, I think took advantage of, no, I'm going to run what I need to run. This was before Mount Charleston. Yes. Yeah. And 
So 40, 50 miles a week. Have you ever had injury issues or anything like that? I came off, um, my best season was probably right after I had my son about four and a half, five years ago. Um, 2015 was when I got my PR and um, I did a speed cycle. And so I was feeling great and it, my body did exactly what it was supposed to and it peaked. And so when I rolled off of speed training and into marathon training, um, I got a stress fracture right mm. before Chicago and it was my second one. I've have had two in the same place. Where, what, where's that? Um, my left tibia. Okay. Yeah. A so you should. Yeah. I've had a left tibial stress fracture too. Yeah. They're not fun. Also before training for Chicago, something about Chicago. So, and that was how long ago that, that you had that issue? 2015. 2015, four years ago. Any sense for what caused it at that time? Was it? I think it was overuse. I mean, I was okay. nursing my son and I went from nothing to pretty hard speed training. Okay. And then went from that to just probably too many miles too fast. So ramped up too fast. Yeah. And you've had, but you had an injury there in the same place. Was it the same issue before? Two ramping years up before. Too yeah. Same too issue. Too much too okay. soon. Okay. So we've got to build slowly is a one lesson. Mm-hmm. Now, since the Mount Charleston cycle, or I guess let's look at it in a more narrow view. Let's look at, let's think about the last three months. What have you been doing mileage wise? What have you been doing long run wise? Mileage wise has been much lower since I switched to the half yep. for um, Vancouver. It's been kind of freeing because I think the longest I've been doing is 14. But following the yep. advanced program for the half. And then, um, so mile wise, it hasn't been tough, but I've definitely been getting after on Tuesday with the quality work. Yep. And let's talk about that decision. We we made that decision <laughs> when I was there a month ago. We were talking about Vancouver, getting ready for that. You had planned to do the Vancouver Marathon mm-hmm. as your next marathon after after Mount Charleston, quote unquote, for fun. And I talked you out of it pretty easily. Pretty I was surprised. Easily. <laughs> pretty easily, <laughs> How which was I, I think a sign. <laughs> That it probably wasn't the right thing. I guess my perspective in our conversation was it didn't seem, so you talked about doing it quote unquote for fun. It didn't seem like you were really investing what you needed to do to get the most out of that race Mm -hmm. or really get anything out of that race. So as, but we were having this conversation about Boston and trying to think about how we can get you to that Boston goal. And as we, as I was processing that, the realization came that, given where you were at the time we discussed it, you weren't going to be ready for that goal mm-hmm. in Vancouver. So then why really run a marathon there when it would really just be a, a really disruptive thing for your training? And so the conversation we had was, why don't you do the half there, try to maybe get a half PR, do something good at the half, and then build to a fall marathon where you can actually put in a proper block to go after that Boston goal. Absolutely. So that's how we got there. But it underscores this point that I make fairly often to athletes and have at least a few times on the podcast talk about, hey, if you're going to run a marathon, have a reason to run the marathon. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you had a good reason. Just going with friends. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, you you were doing it for quote unquote fun. Really, you were doing it for the trip to Vancouver, which is, by the way, an amazing city and well worth a trip to go for a run. But why not do the half, have the the ability to then 
really enjoy the trip and not get the disruption in training that a marathon causes, which anytime you run 26.2 miles, I don't care how hard you run it. It's hard. I mean, I just ran Mm -hmm. the Austin Marathon, I don't know, two and a half weeks ago with a friend at paces that were slower than my pace, but damn if it wasn't hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> damn if it hasn't <laughs> been hard to recover from that. <laughs> so I don't care how fast you run a marathon. It's hard Absolutely. and it can be very, very disruptive your training. So my goal for you was not to have that happen so that you could then roll into a marathon cycle, which is going to start in May anyway, to build towards a fall race. Have we talked about a fall race yet? No. Okay. So I'm hoping well, you give me well, one. Let's pick, let's pick that apart for a second. Any thoughts on fall races if you're going to pick a marathon in the fall? Because I do think, by the way, and you can tell me if I'm crazy, that you should go for Boston in the fall, October, November, even December potentially. Pick a race that you are excited about. We can circle on the calendar and go for this big goal then. I think you can do it. It's going to take work, which we'll talk about, but we got to pick a destination first. So have you thought about it at all? I've had my eye on St. George for a while. Okay. Which is September, right? Mm-hmm. <sighs> too soon. You in these downhill races. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that it's too soon. I just, uh, you know me, it's like I've talked about it before on this show. I don't love the downhill races. I just don't understand them personally. Mm-hmm. Why St. George? Again, friends have... They're going. Just Well, no, but so They're many people. Going. Yeah, I know. Going <laughs> solo. Um, so many people have just had great races there, great results, um, really enjoyed the course. But Have I, you done St. George before? No, no, never done it. Okay. So I'm open. When does the St. George sign up? I'm not sure. That's something to check because usually it sells out fast. So, gosh, you're going to make this hard on me. I, I hate, I don't love St. George as an option. <laughs> Um, but we're going to look it up right now as we're talking to figure out when the registration period is, because we got to figure this out now. Cause the other thing I want to throw out there is, I mean, what about the rogue destination race? We're going to Toronto. Oh, I don't know much about that. Course. October 20th. It's a flat, relatively flat course. You've got a few undulations here and there, but really not too bad enough to make it interesting but not but not so much that it's going to slow you down overall mm-hmm. and generally good weather great city we're going to be bringing a lot of people there so there's going to be fun with other friends i'll be there which will be cool and yeah when we went there last i believe it was 2015 we took a group of about 50 there and Anybody who wanted to PR, PR'd there. Weather was perfect. Course was perfect. It has a half and a full option. So those that want to do the half and then go cheer people on, like I'll be doing, it's great for that. So anyway, so that would be one I would consider. Just looked up St. George. Event registration opens on April 1st. So coming up here in what, two weeks as we're recording this? Two and a half weeks. Toronto does sound great, but every time people say, oh, everyone PRs on that course. You don't? Well, well I tried in Mount Charleston. <laughs> well, oh, come on. On the course that everyone come PRs on. That's, on. Well, that's your own hang up. <laughs> yes. I mean, who cares what everybody else is doing? We're going to go get this thing done. Yes. So we don't have to decide that now, but if I were voting, I would vote for something a little bit later 
Okay. Because I think I just don't like the September timing with St. George because of, I mean, that means you're doing your hardest runs in August, Mm, which isn't ideal. And yeah, you only push it a month if you go to, you know, an October, later October race, but still gives you some potential relief. And plus, I just don't like the downhill courses. That's me. So if I were voting, I'd vote, I would vote Toronto. Plus, you know, it'd be fun to do the rogue race. If if you didn't want to do Toronto, I, I also like Philly as a good choice because it's second weekend usually in November. Always good weather for the most part. Relatively flat course. They've got some rollers on that one. I don't know if you've, you've heard about or done Philly or thought about mm-hmm. Philly before, but that would be another one I would consider. So it doesn't sell out. Neither does Toronto. So you have plenty of time to get in. That's the other thing, by the way. We've got for rogues a registration code to get in toronto for like 95 dollars until september 1st or something crazy so it's insane it's a deal so that would be my vote if we're going to vote but we should decide that within the next three two and a half weeks at least before the saint george registration opens so we'll let you noodle on that but let's now think back to what we want to accomplish first up until vancouver in the what we've got six weeks or so six mm-hmm. or seven weeks till that so not really any time to to formally change your training but i do want to think about how we dial in in these final weeks and then also think about what to shoot for in vancouver which would tee up your fall your fall training block first of all has consistency been, has consistency been good have you been on it Yes. Sorry, I'm nodding it, at you. That doesn't really is help that, on the podcast. Yeah, is that, and has that, because b- before we talked in Dallas, it was a little bit inconsistent. Is that fair to say? It was, yeah. And okay. especially now, we kind of changed the way coaches yeah. run and when we were running. So that's been super helpful. I can get my quality in on Tuesdays. Yep. And it's been a lot more so consistent. So you've been on it. So mm-hmm. that's good. Yeah. What is your half PR? 143. Okay. And when was that? Just a couple of years ago. It's been a little while. <laughs> it's been, yeah. yeah. Okay. I want to say 2015. Okay. Yeah, 2015. But that, you know, if you th- plug that into a calculator, I mean, that equates to just under a 340, roughly, right? Mm-hmm. Marathon yeah. time. So that's kind of um, what got me. So it kind of jives, yeah, it jives yeah. with what you would have run in Mount Charleston. <laughs> And do you think you'll have the potential to beat that in Vancouver? I think so. Yeah. I ran um, Austin, uh, what was it, last January? Yep. And I did a 146 there with minimal training. Um, yeah. So. On a tricky course with that being a warm-ish day, <laughs> so humid <hot>. day. Yeah. <laughs> so so that bodes well. And yeah. Vancouver usually is good weather. Sometimes it can be warm, but it's usually dry. The course is challenging, but less challenging than Austin. So, so that all works for you. Do you think there's anything missing for you in, you know, leading up to Vancouver for these final seven weeks? Missing in my training? Yeah. Anything that you're not doing that you should be doing? I mean, we talked a little bit about cross training. I think where I tend to get injured or where I tend to, if I, if I'm ramping up my miles, especially like we are now, we're kind of getting into the 
the meat of our longer runs. Yep. I'm noticing some aches and pains and just, I think, just staying on top of that, getting rest in, um, yep. which is hard with two kids in an active lifestyle. <laughs> Recovery. You know, you can foam roll while your kids are dancing <laughs> all around. <laughs> so, okay. So maybe not a lot to add between now and then. Your, and you said your long run's been at 14. Will you get that to 16? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. So that'll I be we'll in the next couple weeks. This is a drop week coming yep. up. And, and then, then we've got and two And I think weeks. you're back up. Yeah. yeah. Okay, perfect. So that all sounds good. I don't think I would change anything between now and then. And then as it relates to Vancouver itself, we should probably talk about a race plan as we get closer because there's, a climb, there's some climbs in the middle of that race that you just got to be aware of. But I think you should be aggressive. You know, shoot for a 142. Mm-hmm potentially or faster for that which will put us really right on track for trying to go for that sub 335 okay so let's talk about the marathon block and actually before we get to that you we we talked about cross training you mentioned cross training i think what you're talking about is more like strength Mm -hmm. you talked about doing i think it was camp gladiator stuff Mm -hmm. and i told you stop doing that (laughs) (laughs) not because i don't like camp gladiator but because well I think Cam Gladiator can be tricky as a cross-training option for for running because it has usually running involved, which mm-hmm. can be usually shorter intervals, kind of intense. It's balanced with strength, but, and and for those that aren't from Texas, Cam Gladiator is a boot camp style class that, that you can do in a lot of Texas cities. Have you, are you still doing Cam Gladiator? I am. You are. <laughs> okay. I signed up for two years, so. Okay. Nice. When does that end? <laughs> like 22 months or so. <laughs> <laughs> it was like right after, <laughs> right before we talked. <laughs> uh, nice. Do you, so, <laughs> and so again, Just when do tape. you do that? That's hilarious. When do you do Camp uh, Gladiator? Monday, Let's Wednesday, Friday. Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Usually two days of those but those okay. are the camps that I go so to. So those are the, okay. Yeah. So you two out of 3 days. And I'm okay with 2 days of of strength. But I guess what I would say is if you're going to do that that's fine. Fine. You you sign up for 2 years, I'm not going to change it. But but you should <laughs> probably not do the hard intervals mm-hmm. those portions. And it's and it's fine. So if they have you do a 400 or something, oftentimes it's like 400 hard right and then you come back and do some sort of circuit. Just run easy for mm-hmm. 400 instead. That would be my advice. Right. So they don't compromise what you're doing on the quality stuff with our program. Absolutely. Okay. So we get on that? Promise. Okay, yes. cool. <laughs> Check. Okay. So then once we get through Vancouver half, you'll have fairly short recovery. And then you jump right into our fall program building towards something like St. George or, or Toronto or Philly. Because I know that program... That program is going to start in Dallas, what is it, May 11th? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think is what we circled for our kickoff for that. Second week, yeah. Quick quick plug for those that are in Dallas. If you want to start training for a fall race with us, half or full, May 11th will be the kickoff day. That'll be a day that anybody can come and check things out. And so we'll start there for your build. If you th- Before we drill into specifics, if you think about as a coach yourself, 
like what would be missing to go from somebody who was going to run sub 340 to sub 335 now what do you think's missing for you what do you think you need to do to get those extra five minutes or those extra six or seven minutes that's been my frustration probably the last like 10 years is I have been on a bell curve of I've got some slower times and then I've got a few sub fours but right around all of my races tend to be right around 401 403 406 now granted some of the slower like the 406 was in Chicago two years ago it was 80 degrees at the finish Mm, I found that those like the heat affects me a lot more than I thought it would. And the arid temperature, I know um, Mount Charleston was really arid and I was used to a more humid climate. So I think if planning wise, I just need to be more cognizant of that than yep. just, oh, it's it's downhill, so I can just be faster. Right, right. Um, but that's the that's been, I think, the frustrating part for me is I've gotten older um, since my PR and I'm still consistent at my time, so I don't know if it's if it's speed training that I'm missing or if there's that final push where I could maybe negative split a little bit and it's just not there. Like I don't have the yep. endurance or I'm not putting in enough long runs. So I guess we can guess your age range at least, 35 to, f- yeah. to, f- to 39, I guess, with uh, the Boston standards yes. being what they are. I'm 36. But <laughs> not embarrassed you, by you're it. Here, you're like, I'm okay. I'm on the sh- the the the, the, the younger <laughs> end of that range. I'm on the upper end of that range at 39. <laughs> so I'm a little bit more hesitant to throw that out there. Actually, I don't actually feel old at my age, even at 39. I only feel old when on Father's Day, and when my kids have birthdays. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't feel like I should have a 10 year old. That seems weird. But 40, whatever. I made the comment to a guy I run with. I'm like, well, we're the same age. And he's like, I'm 28. I'm like, oh. <laughs> You're like, no. No. Nope. He's like, no, we're not. <laughs> no. Nope. He was probably offended. Yes. Okay. <laughs> the old lady. Okay. So, so considerations for weather. What about, what about mileage though? Do you, where have you maxed out ever? 22. I mean, for our program used to max out at 22. 22 miles long run. But what about weekly mileage? Any sense for that? I was getting real dangerous when I was doing like, and I say dangerous, I was getting a lot more aches and pains. My left leg was starting to really hurt when I was getting to probably, oh gosh, what would that be? Maybe closer to the 50 mile range. Yep. Um, When I was putting on, you know, 10 miles with quality. And that was also before I did any kind of strength training. So my hips were a mess. My ankles were a mess. So that's probably where I was getting, and I and I ramped up really fast. So like yep. looking back, as a coach, as Coach Molly, I can look back at what I've done and be like, "You're an idiot! Like you didn't <laughs> do any of this right." Ramp slowly. But in my head, I'm like, I just I want to get it. I can just if I run more and run faster, um, then I can do it. And I mean, you teach your body to peak when you go through a cycle like that. And so my body did exactly what it should have done, and it peaked too early. How many days a week are you running? That same cycle, when I got up to five days a week, is when I started to notice I was just exhausted all the time, it, more injury prone. Four days is kind of my my magic spot. I've been trying to do some more, like, just easy miles on Sunday, like, yep. just walking around the block with the kids or doing just an easy jog. Yep. But that fifth day is where I noticed 
I just wasn't getting recovered. Well, we're going to need the fifth day, but <laughs> it's got to be slow enough. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the key, right? I mean, I think the biggest challenge with most people adding days is that they don't slow down. Mm-hmm. And when you don't slow down and you add days, you're going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. And also, of course, when you ramp too fast as a part of that, you know, you go from one to five. Yes, you're going to get hurt. So, but in my opinion, you can't qualify for Boston on four days a week. Mm-mm. At least most people can't. I'm sure there are those that can that have just ridiculous genes. But, <laughs> but you know, screw those people. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Genes, so, <laughs> so I do think we got to get you to five. Are you doing four now? Mm-hmm. Okay. Five sometimes. I've been trying to add it in on Here drop now. weeks. Okay. So, and I'm okay with that being a little more casual right now, but I think once you get to May 11th, it'll be time to go to five. And the good news about this period between now and then, and really the last, you know, probably four to six weeks up until then, is the fact that you've you've built a foundation mm-hmm. now that you'll be able to, to, to go straight from that, that foundation to Vancouver to building for the marathon so you'll be fit enough to actually start the marathon block versus short-circuiting a marathon block and kind of jumping from zero to 60 right away which people like to do i mean it's it's not often talked about but we you know i i think we've talked about it on the podcast before but people like i don't know for whatever reason you you see a lot of 16-week marathon programs Mm -hmm. where people will just jump in and think if i just start from zero at 16 weeks i can get ready for a marathon it's just it's just not true. Not if you want to optimize your time. I mean, mm-hmm. you need, in, in my opinion, 20 to 25 weeks of work to get to that. So I'll get off my soapbox for a second. But you'll have plenty of work. And then you'll have plenty of time within the block to get ready for whatever race, even if we do St. George. But we got to do five days a week. Okay. So that would be an easy recovery jog on Sunday. Mm-hmm. I think 45 to 50 miles based on what you've told me is probably that sweet spot for you. And so if we think about, and what five days a week are you running if we're doing five? So I do Tuesday quality, Thursday, medium long run, Sunday long run, or Saturday long run. And then I've been doing a Sunday recovery and a Wednesday just lower. A lot lower miles. Yep. Well, yeah. And so that's the other part here is, you know, if you, if you had, so if you have that schedule on four days a week and you're doing Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, and no Sunday, mm-hmm. then that means you have a long run Saturday and a quality workout Tuesday with no active recovery in between. Recipe for injury, right? I mean, we know that. Yes. You know that as a coach. So we've got to have that Sunday recovery run. Mm-hmm to balance Saturday and Tuesday. I like a Wednesday recovery run as well because that allows you to recover post-quality before you do the medium long run on Thursday. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday works in my opinion. Again, Tuesday quality, Wednesday recovery, Thursday medium long, Saturday long, Sunday recovery for those who might also be trying to build their own schedule at home. And what would be the miles on those days obviously for saturday let's say we get to 22 miles so what would your other days look like thursdays like max 
Like what max miles would be or yeah, what, max, what are those? at the peak, yeah. Well, just with life. I mean, 10 is probably the max I can get during the week. Yep. For Thursday. For Thursday, so yeah. So Tuesday will just be time-wise. 7, 8. Mm-hmm. Wednesday, what are you doing that day? Um, between 3 and 5. 3 to 5. Sunday, same? Yeah. Okay. It's usually been on the longer end. Okay. So if we do five on those recovery days and we'll say eight on quality days, Thursday, mm-hmm. medium, long, that's 10. So if you add all of that up, if I'm doing my quick math, that's 20, 42 with an eight mile quality, that's 50 miles. Okay. With the five miles on recovery. But I'm okay with the flex on recovery days. I think you know, three to five where you're getting at least three, five when everything's good. I'm okay with that because then that gives us some flex. It gives us like a four mile flex during the week where mm-hmm. if things get rough where you need to back off a little bit, kind of go from 50 to 46, cut you know 10% at least for those up weeks. That might be the just enough you need to kind of mm-hmm. get back to a manageable place if you're if you're balancing everything but to me that feels pretty good okay and i don't know that you need to run any more than 22 miles on your long run you know we'll we'll often put 24 as a part of the range but i i don't think that's something you need to worry about you know i would i would be more inclined to just look at that overall schedule and make sure you're getting in enough 20 milers mm-hmm. And that's, I think, you asked where I was lacking in the past. I think some of those long runs, I tend to, if I missed, you know, life gets crazy, holidays, whatever, you miss a medium long run or you miss a quality run, I'm still hammering in a 22 miler on the weekend and it's like 50% of my miles instead of, you know, 70 or, you know, like, so would you recommend cutting those long runs if it's a bad week and I can't get my miles in during the week? Cutting the long run down by a few miles just to keep the ratios in check? Um, it depends. I mean, that's an interesting question and it brings, it brings up a good larger point, which is that there is, there's a lot of people out there that say, oh, your long run should not be more than X percent of your total mileage. And I kind of roll my eyes at that because it's an arbitrary percentage. You know, a lot of people say, well, it should be more than 20 percent. Well, they say that based on an elite athlete who's running a hundred miles a week, who's doing a 20 mile long run, that's 20%. And so then they're applying that to everybody else arbitrarily when really it's an arbitrary number anyway. So I don't buy the percentage rules as it relates to the long run. To me, it's about how all the pieces fit together and you know, which is why I often like to build people's schedules from the bottom up then see where we are from a total mileage versus saying i want this total mileage and then you kind of figure out you know how the pieces fit together underneath that so i'm a i'm I'm usually a bottom-up planner when it comes to mileage and then obviously once you figure out what the total mileage is you have to check that to say Mm -hmm. is this too much for this athlete right but really it's all about those days and what's the purpose for each day and then getting in the appropriate mileage on those days to achieve the purpose for those days but on weeks when you're inconsistent, first of all, I would rather you can't get 10 miles on a medium long run. I'd rather you get five mm-hmm. and then, yeah, maybe go from 22 to 20 on the long run so that you're not doing 
too much relatively in the long run, but I don't, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd still rather you just get in what you can, assuming you're okay body wise and not worry so much about those percentages. Okay. That would be my general reaction to that. Okay. Now, of course, I don't believe in makeup days. So if you, if you miss a day, if you miss a quality workout on Tuesday, let it go. Do try to run something if you can. Again, something's always better than nothing. But, you know, if you miss a day, let it go. Then jump up, jump right back on the schedule as it was written. Beyond that, as long as you haven't missed multiple days or, you know, there's some issue that needs you to rebuild, right? Mm-hmm. Or requires you to rebuild. Right. So we talked about days, we talked about miles, but that consistency I do think is going to be critical for you, mm-hmm. right? Because, I mean, look, the program that we're going to write from May 11th to whatever it is, September, I don't know, pick, I don't know what St. George, September 28th or October 20th or November 14th for Philly, whatever we're going to write for that is going to have plenty of work for you to get this goal. That I can promise you. Yay. <laughs> right? I mean, the, the 20 milers will be there, the long runs with quality. And so part of this is about you checking those boxes mm-hmm. and just doing 95% of the work and not 70% of the work. Yeah. What's, I, what are the barriers to that for you? As I'm thinking through it, what you've been saying is like, I just, I don't think I trusted myself. Like I've never trusted my own program and I've thought I've coached for so long. I can coach my, I can, I can maneuver this or I can change this around because it's, I think with yourself, you always give yourself um, a lot more leeway than I think I'd give an athlete. I'd be like, I'd tell him the same thing. You missed a day. It's fine. Just go on to the next, or today's not your day. Like you're hurting. It's not a good day for a long run. Let's, let's just, be done today yeah with myself even if I'm hurting even you know I don't I'm like no I, I need to get this in today or if I miss I miss my quality run today so I'd probably try and hammer it in tomorrow no exactly don't so do that I think knowing <laughs> like knowing that you've given me a program and having the faith that it will get me to the time I have I think then I love it I'm a box checker box fool. checker <laughs> that's what I mean that's the mode you need to be in and then obviously check in with me when we do have to make it adjustments because those happen believe me mm-hmm. but that's where you need a coach to be able to tell you okay molly this is smart this is not smart make this adjustment don't make that adjustment mm-hmm. because otherwise what happens when we try to do makeups is we then pile runs together or string them together in ways that they're not meant to be strung together mm-hmm. and then you get hurt and then you're inconsistent because you're hurt Absolutely. and then it it's a spiral that feeds itself in a negative way mm-hmm. now what about strides? Do you do strides? Shockingly not consistently. <laughs> I'm not shocked <laughs> by that. Most people don't. I mean, honestly, most people don't. If there's something that, first of all, not, be, not many people do them, period. But if they are doing them, they do them inconsistently. Mm-hmm. But we had them um, in our schedule a lot with run-on, like yeah. just throughout our runs. Um, but no, I need to do. Once a week. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have to be a lot. Five or six. 80 meters of strides, walk back, repeat. Really simple. Seems like it's not doing anything. And it isn't if you do it inconsistently. But if you do it every week, week in and week out, 
it just adds up and it keeps those especially those um, this is fat using the fast switch and slow switch those are those are crude analogies for for you know what keeps us fast and what doesn't but it keeps though that speed there and helps you work on form and efficiency while we're tearing that down a little bit when we're doing marathon training and so that's something that you know you can decide whether or not that's important over the next seven weeks but when we get to the marathon block i think you should absolutely make sure you're doing every week and obviously you wouldn't do it on a tuesday because that's your quality day but you could do it on a wednesday after the run you could do it on thursday after the run you could even do it during the run on a thursday by just doing simple pickups Mm -hmm. 20 second 30 second pickups in the middle of your your medium long run as a proxy for that with some easy running in between you could even do it on a sunday but again at the end after the recovery run so that you're not you know jumping right into that post long run but but that to me would be something that would help you develop that speed, keep your legs sharp in the midst of the marathon block as we start to dull that speed when we're adding on long runs and volume. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's another box to check. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yes, so, okay. Absolutely. So we talked about miles, we talked about days. Let's talk about paces for a second. Because you're a headbanger, right? I've never even really observed this myself, but I just know it from having <laughs> talked to you and you've admitted it. You, I think you're aware of it, but you're powerless against it. Yes. So when, you, when we think about running a 335, that's like 810 per mile pace, 811, I think it is. And so... That's your marathon goal pace, which means that in my world as a coach, you need to be running your easy runs and your long runs at 9, 10 per mile or slower. Mm-hmm. Are you doing that? I am doing that. Now? Yes. Since we <laughs> talked. Since we talked? Okay. So you're compliant now. What, what, what are the temptations there? What, what causes you to want to go faster? If I run faster, I'll run faster, which you, is it's the counterintuitive. Yeah. Yes, it's the well. How am I going to? And it's the thing that goes through my head every night before a race is, how am I going to run twenty six miles at this pace? Like, there's no way. And yeah. every, I mean, every race you can. Um, so it's just I get in my head of <laughs> I want to I want to prove it. I want to make sure that I can run. And you're a coach, and you know yes. this, and you tell athletes uh, to slow, slow down, down all but the time. Why, but you can't yourself. No. no. But you have been because I told you. <laughs> I listen. So the moral of the story is you really need a coach. Yes. <laughs> you know what they say about lawyers that are lawyers for themselves? They say that a lawyer who's a lawyer for himself has a lawyer for a fool. <laughs> meaning, <laughs> yeah. meaning you can't be your own lawyer. You no. can't be your own doctor. You can't be your own coach. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It is. And so now you have a coach. You're looking at him across across the mics here and so we're gonna slow down done and then obviously the associated paces kind of flow from there for workouts that's pretty easy and the other thing to note by the way for your recovery running is you really should be going like probably 10 minute miles or slower Mm -hmm. on wednesdays and sundays and 
that's something that can be really hard for people to do too. It's not hard for me. I mean, I I did a run today. I ran my long run yesterday because I it was a Monday. I just randomly couldn't do it on a on the weekend because of kids soccer. So you tweaked your schedule. I I, I tweaked my <laughs> schedule <laughs> myself. So you need a coach? <laughs> but right, I do need a coach. I'm, I've I've got one in the works. But but anyway, made a tweak. And and then did my recovery run today. Super slow. I haven't downloaded Destrava yet, but I was probably ten plus minute miles on my my opening mile today, and my marathon goal pace is six twenty a mile. Mm-hmm. So I was almost I was probably three and a half to four minutes slower per mile on mile one because I was worn out from the long run yesterday. And I was running by myself, so it didn't really matter. It's like, mm-hmm. who cares? I'm just going to go out and make it feel comfortable. And I did. I didn't look at my watch. I'm just telling you what it told me after the fact. But that's so important. And if you really embrace that, it doesn't put the stress in the body. It actually allows you to recover so that when you go do your workout on Tuesday, you're ready to roll. And I will say, post Mount Charleston... I mean, speed is relative, right? I mean, what's fast for me might be is super slow for you. And so it's just kind of a relative thing. But it's like I was actually forced to, like you said, stop looking at my watch and it hurt to run. And so I would (laughs) just run until it felt comfortable. And so I was coming back at 13, 14 minute miles, which felt like walking, but my heart rate was up there and it was very freeing to not, I would... I think I got better training that way. Yeah. Just coming back because I felt like I had a great base to come back. I ran Dallas with um, the Dallas half with no, I had two long runs, maybe 12 miles. And I was four minutes off my PR just because I had run comfortable and easy the whole time. But now that I'm feeling better, I'm like, all right, let's kick it into gear. So we just need to give you rhabdo (laughs) in order to get you training at the right paces. Pretty much. (laughs) All right. Well, you're going to be smart this time because your coach is watching. <laughs> Are you on Strava? I am. Maybe I need to follow yes. you and just keep <laughs> you accountable that way. So consistency and slowing down, mm-hmm. following the program, trusting the program. The formula is pretty simple here. Mm-hmm. What questions do you have for me, if any, before we wrap this up? Um. I can't think of any. I'm sure I'll have a ton when I'm all done, said and done. But All right. So that's fine. Next step, pick a race. You've got two and a half weeks. We'll give you till April 1st deadline Okay. for Mount Charleston, at least. Or, uh, Mount, not Mount Charleston, St. George. I'm not doing that to, one again. Yeah. <laughs> that's got yeah <laughs> PTSD written all over yeah. it. So we'll give you a couple weeks to at least hone in on a race. And then once we circle that, we'll be off. Off to the races, pun intended. Do you think I can do it? Molly, you can absolutely do it. I believe. And I believe you believe. I'm I'm on the cusp. Do you believe? No, I believe you believe. Yes. I was so close. No, I believe you believe. I I think you have the confidence. I think there's a little bit of self-sabotage going on in the past. What do you mean? Sort of like fear of <laughs> yeah. fear of success. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like people have fear of success or or fear of narrowly missing mm-hmm. success. And you you had that happen. Like 
like in <laughs> the most epic way possible. <laughs> so there is something for you to make sure you're worked through there. And I think lining up at Vancouver with a goal will help you in some ways process what happened last year because there will be pressure. There'll be a start line, but without the same pressure that a marathon brings Mm -hmm. so that by the time you get ready for that big day, then you're ready. But, but there is something which will be a follow-up conversation on the mental side of just making sure that when you show up at whatever race you choose, you're ready Mm -hmm. and you believe because yeah, I believe you can absolutely do this. It's, it's right in front of you. We know everything you have to do. Just to get this do done, we just now just have to do it. That's all. That's the only thing that separates you from this goal is what will be what six months of work. Mm-hmm. And I can do that. Yeah. The work isn't the problem. So just put your head down and focus on the work. And when you get distracted by can I or the questions or the fears or whatever, focus on the work. Go back to checking boxes because you said I can do that. Mm-hmm. So just get laser focused on checking boxes worry about the rest later sounds good cool yes awesome molly well i appreciate you really you joining me and being willing to share your story to be vulnerable in front of an audience of thousands of people who will now know your story and will be following along and that brings a little added pressure when you do line up but to me pressure is is fun and Mm -hmm. exciting so now you can go prove them right and uh and get this done so thank you again and we'll be we'll have to give a little updates for the audience as we go here yes it'll keep me motivated to check those boxes (laughs) (laughs) all right we will get an update from molly at some point on this journey and we'll talk to you soon awesome thank you so there you go thank you molly for joining me i can say since it's been a few weeks that molly's definitely committed to what we talked about she's been sending me emails here and there letting me know that she's on track and she's had a few questions and has been looking for guidance so she's on track we will be keeping you posted on her journey and i believe i believe she'll get this done by staying committed to this process until the fall so with that we will wrap this episode it has been episode 120 of the running rogue podcast as always you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on instagram twitter or facebook And come see us in Boston. We'll talk to you soon.